Welcome to the School of Unlearning. I'm your host, Elisa Haggerty. I've always believed in the power of questions. They create a gap, a space where we pause and begin to challenge the world around us. Without questions, we're stuck in the trance of life, a life given to us versus one created with agency. Your journey to rethink and unlearn the norms no longer serving you begins now. Hey, everyone. So in episode two for the School of Unlearning podcast, I'm really excited and honored to have my good friend Jill Payne join us on the podcast. Uh, Jill Payne is an energy management coach, uh, a corporate speaker and an educator. She ultimately looks to take people who are stuck in repeated drama patterns and help them find alignment in her life. Jill has worked with so many hundreds of people that she's been able to create her own actual coaching methodology, uh, which focuses on three things, uh, tapping into the body, focus and dialogue. Jill is truly walking the walk. What I loved about this episode and what you'll soon hear is that in the beginning of Jill's career, she focused a lot of her energy management on the physical, the body, through movement, through fitness, um, and it brought her great success. And what I loved is towards the end of this interview, you start to see how Jill has evolved in her own spiritual and energy management pathways. Um, She's actually, as a single mom going through the pandemic, had to really tap into and create new tools for energy management. And this has actually helped her soften and really work with clients who don't always feel like they're a 10 out of 10. Um, So I think ultimately what I love is that she's turned into a very different uh, kind of badass these days and one that is incredibly admirable. And I think you're going to learn a lot about not only energy management, law of attraction, spiritual bypassing, and how we can really use the mental game to um, each and every day, each and every hour, um, improve the quality of our lives. Um, One of my favorite quotes from Jill, and you'll see this in the header, is that, you know, you don't have to feel like shit. So um, with that being said, enjoy this episode and um, forgive the audio. I sound a little choppy on my end, but, you know, I can't let perfection be the enemy of good. So um, enjoy my friends and share with people who you think would benefit. Welcome, Joe, to the School of Unlearning podcast. How are you today? Thank you. I'm doing well. How are you? Doing good. Um, just had a little lunch. I'm excited to dive into our topic today. Some of the work I've loved that you do over the years is around energy management and um, not only helping individuals, but corporations. Um, more recently, I always have to go back to childhood, though, because I know that there must be some sort of nugget or inspiration or turning point in your life where you realize you were like aware of people's energy and you wanted to help mediate somehow. So um, what was childhood like for you? And did any of this show up in childhood for you? Well, your questions actually had me think about it, which was really interesting. So I grew up in a small town in Nova Scotia in Canada. And I think one of the biggest things that shaped kind of everything about me is that I was in um, competitive sports and mainly in sprint canoeing. Do you even know what that is? It's what in the is Olympics. It called? Sprint, sprint canoeing. canoeing. Sprint canoeing. No, so I like you're on a knee. Well, I just think it's, I really thought about it. And I think that endurance sports, like individual endurance sports, create a different mindset than any other sport, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So totally. from the age of like five to 18, you know, I was coached by these brothers and they were so, <clears throat> they were dimes. They were high energy. They had like that positive attitude they made things fun but it was hard you know like when I think about the the work that we did and I remember every practice that they posted I remember starting the practice and thinking they can't make us do this whole thing there's no way you know like it's just not possible and then like midway through you're like oh I'm gonna finish this you know so I think 
doing that over years and years, like I think it became really fun for me to push my body, but also fun for me to push my mind, you know? Mm -hmm. So like, cause you really have to be in charge of your mind when you're doing things like that, you know, cause you, yeah. and I was so motivated. I was so committed. Like I was the person, you know, who wanted to do more, who showed up for every practice, who did training, you know, outside of practice. Like, I just think yeah. that was something majorly that shaped, I guess it just taught me that I can do whatever I want to do, you know, and it can be fun. Yeah. And I can finish things and, you know. Yeah. This is making um, some of our in-person workouts that we've done together make sense now that you you were in like basically intense endurance uh, sports growing up. Uh, I was too as a runner, but I, you know, I didn't connect the dots for my professional career now to being an athlete. Um, but I, I guess they are connected somehow in terms of like the mental fortitude you have to, you have to kind of like craft um yourself to get through these workouts. Was there something you would tell yourself when you were in those workouts or like a mantra or a thing you would say or a motivation or was it just like you, you have to stay a part of the tribe. You can't give up now. Like what was I it? I think it was even, of? that's what I mean. It was less about the tribe. It was probably more about my, um, not devotion, but my commitment to the coach and what they, I trusted them so much. Like, and I wanted, yeah. well, I was, I think I still always want to win, you know? So that was like, I think it's always just, I want to do the best I can and see how it goes. But the other thing I was thinking about when I was kind of reflecting, I, this is going to make me sound silly, but I'm going to say it. So I used to visualize. So every race, the races would be on the weekends in the summer and we would have to drive an hour every weekend, you know, to the city to do the races. We lived in this tiny town, everyone's big city club. So we're coming from mm -hmm. the, the country and I would listen to Michael Jackson. Will you be there? The, the, uh, free willy yeah. soundtrack on repeat <laughs> yeah. on repeat for an hour every single weekend for my entire like since I was a, a kid so I would listen to that wow. song and I would literally visualize my race like from I remember doing this even when I was like 11 you know so the beginning of the song would be like me warming up getting up to the mm -hmm. start line like it was the whole thing so I feel like that's also a practice that I, I still I teach and I, I I do on a really like daily basis now so I feel like that's also something that's come into my professional career in from childhood. I never I never knew that about you do you still listen to the song with the same level of like um, you know I I watched that documentary and I can barely listen to any of his music now so it's been um, yeah it's yeah, been fair. I feel very um torn because that song was a big deal for for me and I I love a song with a choir you know so yeah, for sure. I, I listened to that a few years ago on repeat during one or two weeks of my life where I really needed inspiration. But, um, you know, it sounds so familiar to me as I'm thinking back on my career. I ran cross country, I played basketball, and I did very similar things. I would envision like the last couple plays or the last hundred meters of the race, like taking someone and beating someone. And, you know, it's, I guess it is the athlete mindset. I know you started as, you know, the spiritual athlete. That was how you, you started your work in this field. Um, and so when did you kind of connect the dots? Like, so you had this background in like endurance sports, um, self-motivation, mental mindset, management. You weren't even aware you were doing that, but you were building totally. effectively a career. And when did you decide I'm going to start a career as a spiritual athlete and like infuse that into it and, and tell us about that? Well, I think there's a couple kind of um, signposts that uh, are interesting. So I, I moved to Costa Rica after I, I played rugby um, for the national team. And then after I was done with that, I moved to Costa Rica after my um, master's degree. And mm -hmm. I was working at a school and 
I remember at first though, I, I think the first thing was like, I was looking at your questions too, and it's like rock bottom moments. And for me, those all are around like heartbreak, you know? So a relationship had ended in yeah. Costa Rica. And I was like, that was like a, a version of my rock bottom where I, this didn't work out how I thought, and, ah, you know, mm-hmm. I'm rejected, yeah. you know? And in that rock bottom was the, the first time that I started to listen to Abraham Hicks and the law of attraction. So yeah. I would say that would be the kind of start of like, oh, there's another another way to use my brain. There's another way to process things. You know, life can be joyful regardless right. of what's happening in my outside conditions. You know, I can create that inner mindset. So that was kind of probably the first thing. But then um, I was working at the school and I was the director of this nonprofit school in Costa Rica. And I decided to it was really simple. I just decided to do workouts with my friends, you know? So I was like, yeah, I'll just run workouts. Everyone can just pay 10 bucks and we'll just do a big thing. And it got, there was nothing else in the town at the time. So it got so big so quick. And then I had this, it was like a platform with mirrors and a roof and fans. And I just do outdoor workouts with like a couple boxes, some kettlebells, some TRXs, like basic stuff. But I I had to be so creative because I wouldn't know how many people were coming and how we would do the circuits and how everyone would get to use all the equipment. So I'd have a workout perfectly planned for like eight people and then 12 would show up and I'd have to just quickly figure out how I can change. Like most exciting time of my life, probably it's just totally Mm -hmm. and having no other influences in terms of fitness, like really just kind of doing what felt good and what made me feel good and what made me feel happy. And it was then that I realized, um, yeah, this, I was interested in some people leave feeling happy and some people leave feeling like they just beat themselves up for an hour. And what's the difference? And what are those two people doing differently while they exercise? Right. So I think that was the thing realizing my whole life exercise made me feel good, like not just physically. Right. So it was like breaking that down to what's happening in my mindset. What am I, what am I focused on? What am I saying to myself? How am I using my body to achieve that? Right. So then it became kind of a investigation on, how to make people not just feel good in their body, but in their mind as well. And and then that became a whole philosophy that then eventually we took out the fitness part. And it's just about um, training your mind, really. I want to jump into training your mind and how you got to that, because it sounds so organic. Like you just basically created the thing that you needed and created the thing that other people wanted and needed. And then it sounds like you're fusing together a lot of your childhood, which is again, like how do you endure or get through workouts, not just like to kill your body, but to actually feel good afterwards. So, but I'm curious before we get to like your work now, when you were growing up, um, you mentioned some of your coaches were really influential for you, like not wanting to let them down, but what was like non-negotiable for you growing up? Like that either you learned by just uh, proxy or observation, like what was non-negotiable for you to believe in or do or execute that you just, that kind of ing- was ingrained in you at a young well, age. I feel like I was the fourth um, child. So I feel like, um, I, you know, you have a lot of kids in your family too. Like you learn a lot of yeah. this is through osmosis, right? So I think by the time the fourth comes around, your parents are more relaxed and more calm and which I, I love. I think the, the kids that are later in the stages are usually more interesting, <laughs> you know, because the parents are so relaxed. But I would say, I think I just learned probably that I have to do my best and that I can finish things. You know, I think through the, through the challenging workouts, it's just like, I can do hard things and it feels good to finish it. Mm -hmm. Like, so it was just like, I don't remember ever, like, you know, I don't think quitting is a terrible thing in certain circumstances, but I don't remember ever being someone who that was even a a thought, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like not an option. basically. Yeah. Like non-negotiable was just like, 
we'll do what he says. You know, if the coach says this is the workout, I'll do it and I'll do it to the best of my ability. And that's it, you know? So yeah, mm -hmm. I think that was kind of non-negotiable. If I join a team, I, I play on that team, I show up, you know? So it was just like, just like commitment, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. The end goal. And is that still sort of how you approach like your movement, your fitness and like your business is sort of just like quitting isn't an option or have you softened or evolved in that? Yeah, probably, probably not so much quitting, but there's always a way to figure it out. There's always a solution. There's always a way to get yeah. to the end point, you know? So maybe it's not yeah. going to be by like, I mean, by the end of my like paddling career I had shoulder problems, you know, like it was probably yeah, pretty yeah. extreme, like finishing things that I probably shouldn't have finished physically. But I think just maybe even just the non-negotiable is that my mind is powerful and it will help me, you know, like, yeah, Amazing. just go all in, I guess would be the, but yeah, I think now it's more of the, like, I will always find a solution. I can make this work. You know, there's a way like, right. just more of a mindset right. of possibility. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Um, and so tell me how you transitioned to your work within spiritual athlete, doing the boot camps, the fitness camps in Costa Rica into more of this mindset piece. How did you transition, um, into sort of, I think you have a three pronged approach where you talk about body dialogue and what's the third thing? Body focus dialogue. Sorry. Thank you. Yes. BFD. Body focus dialogue. Yeah. yeah. Tell, me, tell us about that. Uh, so I guess I was, I was, eventually I had to say to the school, you know, at night I'm coming up with workouts in my head, not thinking about this school. So I think it's time for me to go a hundred percent at the gym. So I did that and I was running fitness classes and training people privately, um, in Costa Rica for a few years. And then I was asked to go speak at a company just, you know, about training and about physical training, you know, and I think that was the first time I was actually at Pepsi in, in Chicago. And it was a question and answer in front of hundreds of people. And I wasn't nervous and I stood up there and it was so fun and it was exciting to try to think of answers on the spot. And I just really enjoyed that um, adrenaline. And I think from there, I realized, oh, I like presenting. So in Costa Rica, mm -hmm. there's a rainy season in September and October every year. So everyone usually goes away. So I started to travel during those months and I would teach workshops. So I would teach usually an hour about the principles of energy management. And then we would do an hour long workout. Because I, I still, to this day, think that okay. fitness is a great place to practice what you do with your body, what you focus on, and what you say to yourself. Because when the workout is hard, mm -hmm. that's really interesting. To It's good information to see what you're doing with those three things, because that's what you're doing with those three things everywhere, right? So I, mm -hmm. I still think it's a great arena to practice those things. So I used to just teach it quickly, and then we would actually practice it right away. And they would be so high energy, so exciting, so fun. And I just kind of, during those two months, I'd go visit friends wherever they were and teach a workshop while I was there. And, and, and that's how the kind of philosophy became a bit more formal. And then uh, from there, I guess that's the whole thing was organic. Like I never had a vision of like, I'm going to be an executive coach and I'm going to create right. my own thing. Like it was right. just like, I always noticed like people would ask me to do things. And in the beginning I'd be a little resistant and then I'd kind of like ease up. So like I was teaching these workshops and some people would come up to me and be like, Jill, I need to sit down with you. you know, I really like this principles, but how does it relate to my exact situation? You know, like right. I want to do some coaching. And at the time I was like, I don't know, just come to the workshop. You know, like I just wasn't interested right. in like, I'm like, I'm not a counselor, you know, like, I don't know, like just yeah. read this book I read, see if you can figure it out. You know, like I wasn't interested. So then I was in Nova Scotia. My dad had just had a heart attack and I was there for a few months and I was just kind of like, Oh, what could I do? So 
people kept asking me to coach them and I decided I would do four sessions at a time and they would all have to be walking. So people would buy a package of four sessions and they would walk with me for an hour. And people in my town probably still talk about this because there's a little lake and it would take me a half an hour to walk around the lake. So I would walk around the lake twice with each client. And some days I would have like eight back to back. A lot of coaches, they talk to me about like how to develop their, you know, how do I develop a method? How do I, and I just think that's what developed it for me. Right. So like working with so many people and figuring out how to apply it to their situations and then, you know, where do they get to the next session and what's happening? So I just really developed all those techniques while I was working with those clients. And then eventually it was so cool because I, I started to want to take them somewhere different. Right. So a lot of people, they have one subject that's um, really hard for them. And they want to talk about that every single time that they see you. And it was just like, there's a progression here that I would like to go on, but it's hard to guide someone in that if they really want to talk about the one thing that's not going well. Right. So that would be something maybe that you would do in, in therapy, but I had a clear program I wanted to take people on. So then I decided, I mean, there's a whole story there. Um, I decided to go into these three, three stages. So first stage is energy management, you know, getting fertile soil, what I do with my body, my focus, my dialogue. The second is kind of like now that you realize that you control your energy, which controls your state, which controls your experience of life. What do you want? Where are you going? How do you get it? That's stage two, planting the seed. And then stage three is this idea that a good gardener, if they've got great soil and they've planted the seed, well, they're just going to trust that the rose bud becomes the rose. So there's an element of like, kind of releasing it, getting ready for what they've, they've planted, trusting the process right. and, and kind of, I don't like the esoteric word surrender, but just kind of like letting it be a little bit, right. Not forcing mm-hmm. everything or pushing things into place. So those became the three stages of the 12 week coaching program. And it was actually, wow. um, I was really driven to be in New York at one point I was in Nova Scotia and I wanted to live in New York. And I applied to be a spin instructor. I'll just say that a spin instructor. (laughs) And I thought this would be great. I'll be a spin instructor. I'll get to share my message. You know, I'll get to move my body every day. I'll get to live in New York. And like, you know, it was shocking, but I, it was shocking to me. I did not get accepted, you know? So the, the audition did not go very well. My music was a bit of a mess. I never taught spin before. And I'm like, I am a trainer. Like I have a message. I should be chosen, you know? Yeah, and then yeah, I get yeah. the call that like you have not been selected, and I was like heartbroken. Like I literally was like, I'll never recover from this rejection. Yeah, yeah, you know. So I felt that for a while. I really did. I really felt that disappointment. And then I was talking to a friend, and he said, you know, it's actually a friend's dad, and he's kind of a coach. He he loves law of attraction and all that stuff. And he said, yeah, I coach people through a twelve week program, and I charge four grand. And right away, I thought that's what I'm going to do. So I just decided to write down that that three-stage program into a full curriculum. And then I decided I'll have 10 clients and I'll move to, you know, this was like May. I was like, I'll develop this curriculum. And by September, yeah. I'll have 10 clients and I'll move to New York myself, you know? So that's exactly what I did. So by October, I got to move to New York by myself, running my own business with the best schedule ever. And I got to go to those spin classes instead of, you know, breaking my body down, teaching a million of them a day, right? So... It was, uh, so again, but that's what I mean. This all, it was like, I was really guided to do all this from the beginning, you know? So like if I tried to go in a different direction, it didn't work out, you know? So it was just kind of like, I feel like I was pushed 
and and it was almost like you have something to share that is not going to be part of another brand just do it yourself like it's been like the continual message for me so it has been that it has been like very authentic but not necessarily easy (laughs) yeah and it also I think what I liked before is you said like you didn't have some grandiose vision that this is where you'd be you you literally just were like okay rejection here relationship let's go into movement and mind body and focus and and then ultimately, you know, you created um, a community of people who love not only your workouts, but also the way in which you were teaching them mentally to approach it. And I have this vision of you like walking around this lake, like for 10 hours a day with clients or on the phone. I assume, yeah, I'd have to like, right? call like, my mom by the end of the day and be like, I can't even walk 10 minutes home. Like, you know, come <laughs> get me. like bring a sandwich, so, you know, I think, did you have like 25,000 steps? Like were you trying? Yeah, to it was crazy. Point? Yeah. It yeah. was a big deal, but like, I'd have to take a couple of days off after those big days, you know, cause it'd just be drained That's in all ways. Yeah. So I have this thing on my wall, which sounds like much of what you're doing, you have done is like this little note to myself, which is follow the breadcrumbs. And so mm-hmm. it sounds like to your point, like, you know, you, you, it's almost like you're taking your philosophy, you're living it, you're walking it, you're breathing it and the rejection comes or you don't get this particular job and you just keep you keep following the breadcrumbs, like your breadcrumbs, right? You're not right. following like the vision of some corporation or the vision of right. so-and-so down the street. And I, I think that's really empowering um, for people to, to learn how to take, you know, your methodology and to apply it to like real life. Like, you know, yeah. to, I think that's, that's the sweet spot there. But I would say too, that I would, I, especially probably like since I moved yeah. from Costa Rica, I would do a lot of writing in the morning where I would like script out my future, you know? So like, it's not that there wasn't a grandiose plan, but like, it was just kind of like a soft plan where I would imagine like, you know, where I'm going to live and what my days are going to feel like. And, you know, not like I need to get these clients by these dates and it, you know, it was just like, I was always having a clear vision of the way that I wanted to feel and the way that my lifestyle would be, you know? So yeah, it's yeah, not that I sure. just didn't have a vision, but I would have this grand vision that was, I wasn't really pushing towards it. I could just go there in my mind whenever I wanted to. So I didn't need it to happen right away. And then I could just feel free to follow the breadcrumbs, you know? So it was kind of like that idea of like, I was, I had planted the seed. So I knew that it was all going to happen. And and the way that it was going to happen, you know, is clearly after all this time, I realized it's not going to happen the way I think it is. You know, So it's always no, yeah, a little bit different. Um, so I'm curious when you were young, what were some of, and, and now into uh, adulthood, like what were some of the things that you had to challenge, like the status quo, the, societal norms, the things that didn't sit right with you, that from a young age, you were mulling on rethinking and even on learning. Um, Cause I, I think that it must, it must play a role into some of the work you do because some of the work you do is not conventional. It's not, right. um, you know, we don't, we don't learn about focus and dialogue in school, not unless you have a very particular path or school. I hope or, one day we're working on the curriculum. Yes. One yeah. Day yes, you are. Yes. But tell me a little bit about that. Like from a young age, were there things that you were just like, no, like that doesn't sit right with well, me. Like, I, I, I remember, there's something I remember very well. Like, you know, when your your parents would take you to the dentist when you're little and you'd be like in the car with the windows down at like 1030 in the morning. And like sometimes they'd take you out for lunch after, you know, I mm-hmm. remember being like, this will be my life. Like I will be able to be in the car at 1030 in the morning and go wherever I want. Like, it was just like, I remember feeling that idea of like, I don't have to sit at a desk for, you know, nine hours a day. That will never be my life. I was clear on that from the beginning. So I would say that would be one thing. Like just really challenging that I don't have to work for 
anyone at and inside and you know what I mean like that was just never a vision that I imagined yeah. um I would Good. say also just the idea that like we're not supposed to feel well and we're not supposed to be you know we're not supposed to be able to find joy on a daily basis or you know, I think that kind of thing like that that what like when I started listening to Abraham and realizing that like life is meant to be joyful and I can choose the way that I want to feel like that was like big for me like I don't think a lot yeah. of the general population thinks like that and that's yeah. one of the big things that I, I do teach is that you're in control of the way that you feel and you don't have to feel like shit all the time. Am I allowed to swear on this? You can say whatever you want. You can beef it out if you need to. No, <laughs> we're not going to edit that out. Um, so did you grow up hearing a little bit of that, like in your world, your culture, your family? Like, Well, you actually, know- good story. So like, you know, I love Abraham Hicks. And uh, so the story is like, when I was going to university, my mom was, you know, I lived maybe about four hours away from the university I went to and my mom was driving me back one day and she started to tell me about like this idea that your thoughts create your reality. And, and for some reason, the only thing I could comprehend at the time was like, if I think I'm going to get sick, I'm going to get sick. You know, like that was Mm -hmm. the only thing that I Mm -hmm. could, I could understand. And then it was actually strange. I got back to university and one of my friends one of my roommate's boyfriend's best friends had just died tragically in a car accident. And all of a sudden mm-hmm. I had this idea that there was more to the world than just like what we, you know, and I, I was just like, so I thought his energy was in our apartment. Like it was like, all of a sudden I was just awake to this idea that there was more than just like the physical world that we were in. And it mm-hmm. was a combination of like that talk with my mom. And, but to be honest, in my university days, it was all too much. I was like completely overwhelmed by all of it. And I just, I feel like I just shut it down for a while. So mm-hmm. then went to Costa Rica, did my master's, came back heartbroken. And I tell my mom, I'm like, oh, I just started listening to this lady. You know, I didn't understand, <laughs> you know, if anyone's <laughs> listening that listens to Abraham, I didn't understand they were channeling and all of that stuff. So I was like, this lady's so smart, Esther. She's so smart. I just started listening. Yeah. And my mom says, I've been sending you those DVDs for years. And I was like, what? what? And so I look back in all these boxes and sure enough, I have DVDs. She was sending me like Bruce Lipton, Abraham Hicks, you know, all of that. So um, it's interesting though. And she would, I mean, I'm not saying anything she wouldn't agree with, but like, I think um, she understands it, but it's difficult to practice it. So I think it was interesting for like that next generation. Who knows what my daughter's going to do with it, you know, but it was like, I, I, I can have these chats with my mom because she totally understands it, but is she necessarily practicing it? I, I don't know. It's much more difficult to put that into practice. And I'm not sure I saw the practices of it when I was growing up, but I do know that my mom understood it, you know? So my that dad was really always cool. a, yeah, my dad was always a big track coach. Mm-hmm. So he was like coach Payne, you know, he actually at the school I went to, he was a teacher and now there's a, a big field named after him, the, the track of Payne. So, I mean, he was also a big guy in like visualization and, you know, all of that stuff was always a, a, a big thing from him. So I'm sure I learned a lot of, of that kind of stuff from him as well. But so I think the combination of the two, but I don't know if I saw it or I just, I don't know how that works, but it was, I, it was around. I bet there was like some sort of like programming that was going on for you. Like, I think it's really interesting that your mom was sending you these, you know, pieces of information, DVDs, audio, because that's whatever they were. And you were like not listening to them. And then at one point, like shit hits the fan, life happens for you, to you. And yeah. you you begin to actually 
to, to tap into that, that world of, of thinking and behaving, which is definitely not the norm. Um, I love yeah, it. I was young fact, for it. I was probably like 25 at the time, 24. And I just, almost, I feel like I went on like three years of like just studying that. That's it. You know? Yeah. So I like taught a few yoga classes, but I was just like all day law of attraction, you know, something would happen to someone. And in the beginning, I feel bad. I should apologize to everyone who was around during those days. I'd be like, do you want me to deconstruct that for you? Do you want me to tell no. you why that happened? You know, now yeah, I just yeah. do that in my own head all day. But, but it was like, yeah. I say that to people when I'm coaching them. And I, I say that if I can, if I can teach someone how to listen to Abraham Hicks, my job is done, you know, because I think there's so many years of content there. But also, when I first started to learn that, it was the most exciting time of my life. Like, I would just, you know, think about something and then it would happen. And, you know, it was just like all of a sudden, like, talk about status mm -hmm. quo. Like, that was when I was realizing, oh, shit, this stuff is powerful and game changing and I'm creating it, you know, and it's working. Right. So, like, when I first started to practice it, that's why I was so driven to study it more because of the effects I was already getting, you know. Yeah. So can you talk, can you give us like a tweetable or for those who are listening who don't know Abraham Hicks very well, like what is the principle or one of the principles that she teaches? Uh, so law of attraction is the, basically the idea that those things likened to themselves are drawn. So frequency matches, right? So every thought that we have, every action that we do, you know, the person that you are right now in this moment has a frequency. So if the, you know, you want the things that you think you want. So here's the way that I explain it in my coaching program. So Abraham would say this too, that you have a physical form. I call it your meat suit. And mm -hmm. then you have like source energy, the energy that's inside the meat suit. So it's the same that's inside you, that's inside me, that's inside everywhere, right? So it's like the thing that, you know, really we're all the same, just separated by these meat suits, right? Mm -hmm. And the idea is that your source energy, the, the only viewpoint that they hold is love and appreciation, right? So if my physical form is doing something that is in alignment with love and appreciation, I'm in alignment with my source energy. And I know that because of the emotions that I feel, right? So if I'm doing something I love, if my physical form is doing something that I love, if I'm speaking lovingly about someone, you know, there's alignment and there's a high frequency, right? But if I'm criticizing someone or I'm doubting myself or I'm saying something negative about myself, my source energy will, will not even go there. I used to say my source energy disagrees. They don't even disagree. They won't even, they, they, they can't even go there. They can't go off the frequency of love and appreciation. So I'm going to feel a disalignment between where my physical form is and where my source energy is. And I feel that in a negative emotion, right? So then our emotions are just our evidence of where we are vibrationally and they're temporary. Does this make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. So then the cool thing, this is the, the cool thing is everything that you want also has a high vi vibration and a high frequency. So if I can get in alignment with my source and hold that, you know, frequency of a 10, the stuff that I want is on that frequency of a 10. So it's more likely to, to come to me. Right. So it's not like I have to force all the outside conditions into place. I just have to get my own self up to a frequency where I can allow the things that I'm asking for, where I'm a match to the things that I'm asking for. Right. So it's the whole idea that law of attraction, your only job is joy. Your only job is alignment. Your only job is how do I feel good? Not how do mm -hmm. I organize this to work in my benefit? Right. You don't have to organize anything. You just have to get yourself on the high channel. So then the, the mm -hmm. fun stuff becomes, well, how do I get myself on a high channel? Well, I can imagine those things that I want are already here. You know, I can write out how I'll feel when they are here. I can imagine that, you know, when I put my feet on the ground in the morning, that the life that I want is already happening because there's no police that are going to come around and be like, Oh, 
you're feeling those emotions of the things that you want before they're here, you know? Right. Yeah. You and can you don't want the things anyways. In. Yeah. You don't yeah. want the things anyway. You want the feeling, right? So then the alignment becomes the goal. And when I have alignment with my source, when I have that like solid relationship with my source, I have so much freedom because I don't care what anyone else is doing because the only thing that's going to fill me is already here. Right. So it's like everyone else around me can behave how they want. Everything can happen how they want. Cause I already have the, the good feeling that I want. Does that make sense? It does. So that's kind of that's, the way that I would explain law of attraction. That's really helpful. Um, as a reminder too, I studied it years and years and years ago, but it's, it's been a while. What do you do then though? If someone is feeling sad, if someone's like heartbroken or sad, how does it, how does this all play into the, we know that emotions are just data and they're temporary for sure. But what if someone's sad or anxious around something that um, has just happened? And like, is, is it bypassing the sadness and the anxiety and just like, no, so I'm like, like how do you get there? I'm like, yeah. So I think every suffering emotion has a message, you know, so yeah. we need to feel them and we need to make sure that we really identify what it is. I think a lot of people have a suffering emotion and they're not quite sure, like, am I hurt or am I angry or am I angry? Cause I'm actually hurt. Like, I think it's really important to have the awareness of what is the actual emotion you're feeling. Right. right. And then you can find the, the message, like for example, frustration, right. The, the, the message is the approach you're using is not working. Right. So it's not time to like, keep, you know, get upset about it over and over. It's like, it's almost could be exciting. Like, Oh, I need to try something different. What's a counterintuitive approach. I haven't thought of, you know, something like mm -hmm. that. Right. But, I think all suffering emotion is here um, for a reason and we're humans and we're going to experience a, a range of emotions. In, in the beginning, when I first started to teach this, I was like, well, if you're not on a high channel, it's because you're not managing your energy and it's your own fault and get right. your shit together. And, and to right, be honest, right. that's probably the way that I spoke to myself. Right. So then like go through a couple like waves of emotions yourself and you're like, that's actually not helpful to speak like that, yeah. you know? So yeah. instead I think you need to, kind of feel the, feel the emotion and then, and then slowly kind of say, what's the message. But I think the idea is that, you know, if someone's holding their body in a poor position and they're focused on the problems and they're speaking terribly to themselves, you're not going to feel very good. Right. Right. So it's right. like, regardless of the emotions you're feeling, those three things are always in your control. So we can't control the outside conditions that are causing these emotions, but I can control the kind of the way I react to it and the way that I manage and mediate those three things. Right. Mm -hmm. So, and, and the thing is too, is like, I always say like, you can have a cold and still feel, still feel happy. You know what I mean? Like, I think sometimes we yeah. have a story of like, I'm a bit sick. So now I'm also supposed to be whiny. And it's like, I, I just, I think some of it is like stories that we've been told, right? Like you can have a cold yeah. and still be on a high channel, right? Like well, something yeah. challenging can be happening and I can still feel um, a high level of energy or capacity, you know? Right, right. I think that's what uh, was important to kind of like sparse out here is like you, you mentioned like um, events outside of us are happening that make an, that cause an emotion. And like we, well, we get to decide the story and the emotion with whatever's going on externally. And that's a really important thing, I think, to, to really zoom in on because, you know, you, you could have a flat tire, but it also, the story you make up about the flat tire could be anything. It could be right. a gift to slow down. It could be an opportunity to prevent a car accident. It could be anything. And so then right. that determines the emotion, right? Like, right. so talk to and me what about I how you, too, is there's no that. problems, just the energetic channel you're on when you look at them. Right. So if right. I haven't been managing my energy, so I haven't been managing what I do with my body, my focus, my dialogue lately, and I get a flat tire, well, look out, I'm going to think this is the end of the world. And I'm going to be, you know, 
crushed about right. it, right? If right. I've been managing right. myself really well and I'm at a nine or a 10, I'm just going to, you know, call what we call it here, CAA. I, I don't know, you guys call it AAA. Yeah. I'm yeah. going to call it AAA okay. and, and listen to a podcast while I wait and just be fine about it, right? So it's like, it's interesting that the same the same flat tire situation can be different based on where I am kind of energetically where I am. And I like to sub the word these days. I think it's very important to realize like when I say energy management, I'm not talking about like airy fairy, like manage your chakras. I'm I'm talking about managing your capacity. (laughs) Right. So like, I like to say that energy and capacity are are the same in this scenario, you know? So yeah, I think lots of conditions can happen. It's like the same when we're in like that hardcore lockdown. Some days I can't handle it. Some days I'm fine. You know, what's the difference, right? So it's something in the way that I'm managing myself, you know? For sure. I have a question. It's a little bit off script, but I know you'll appreciate it. So a lot of these things like flat tire, um, something acute, something that's like a single time experience or like you drop your latte and you're like $5, like fuck my life, you know? And But what about the repetitive, or I call them repeated drama patterns, you know, like the relational, someone goes into victim mindset, um, because they keep getting broken up with, or someone never makes enough money. Like, what about these like, repetitive drama patterns that have been going on really Mm -hmm. since childhood? How, How do we apply your methodology to those? Well, I would say from a different channel, you'll see it differently completely, right? So it's Mm -hmm. always too, I think, oftentimes, when we're in repetitive patterns, I've we're in victimhood. So we're not taking the responsibility ourselves. Right. Right. So like I could get mad that my relationships always end in heartbreak or I could take responsibility that they were cute. Like I had clues that this was going to go in this direction the whole time and I didn't listen. Right. So like there's a a (laughs) example. Right. And from a high channel, I don't need it to work out from a low channel. I'm grasping and I'm gripping, you know, so it's like, yeah, I think it's the difference between. Yeah. When when we're in repeated patterns, I would say that usually under under it is usually a shame or a blame or or an excuse rather than saying you know what am i how am i you know a co-creator in this and what am i doing and you know because you're the only Mm -hmm. one that's because that's what i like to say when somebody gets really upset about something my favorite like i know people hate when you say this i like to say well have you felt that before you know, so yeah, like they're really yeah. worked up about their job, you know, and they're like, no, but this one is, dah, dah, dah. and I'm like, well, have you yeah. felt that before? And then they're like, oh, fuck, Jill, yes. You know, and it's like, okay, <laughs> well then, you know, how are you doing? Right. So it's, I think in mm-hmm. all terms too, we always want to have, in terms of focus, we want to have like, what's our ideal job? What's our ideal relationship? Like you want to have kind of an archetype that you're referencing. Right. right. So it's like, instead of just saying, I'm always in these types of jobs, because I think people get into that mindset too, right? Where they're like, this is how it is. People are like Mm -hmm. this, jobs are like Mm -hmm. this. But when you actually ask them, well, what's the relationship you want? Or what's the job you want? They can't even tell you because they just spent so much time focused on the actual situation, right? So I love it. it. I feel like everyone here should just do some journaling for like five minutes on what is the archetype that you are aspiring to Yeah, so what I like to do, this is a good bit of homework for your listeners, right? So if someone has a job that they don't like, you know, I usually say, well, you need to make sure that you have an archetype of what you want, right? So people always say, I don't know what I want. And like, the the path to what you want is is uncovered in what you don't want, right? So it's like, you know, the idea would be write down the things you like about your current job. And whatever you don't like, write the opposite, Mm. right? And I even say, don't even write what you don't like. Just right away, make write the opposite, right? So then you have a clear picture of the job that you want. Mm -hmm. 
right? And then you did take it to the next step. Well, how will I feel when I'm in a job like that, right? What will my day look like when I'm in a job like that? Can I embrace that? Can I actually embody that emotion and that person now? Yeah. You know, then, so then I'm creating my presence from my future. Right, right. right. Instead so of like, creating my future from my past, which most people do. Mm-hmm. So is it kind of like the, when we say like, you know, act as if, right? Act as if you're already the yeah. CEO or act as if. And so but I you think need a to lot know of what that, you do want, right? Before you can right. act as if you have it. And I think a lot of people don't take the step to get really clear. Well, I don't want to have a boss that's a bitch. And it's like, so what do you want? You know, I don't want colleagues that are annoying. So what do you want? You know, well, I I hate my schedule. It's like, you know, so like people are so clear and emotional about what they don't like, you know, so I just like to really flip that. And so get emotional about what you do want. And then just, I think that would be the other thing that I would say that I do probably more than the average person is take a risk, right? So like, I get clear that I want this and now I'm going to just go in that direction. Right. So I'm going to, you know, I don't think I've ever stayed in a job before I was my own boss, but I don't think I ever stayed in a job. I didn't like for one day, you know, which mm. people listening to this are like, what? You yeah. know, they're, they're probably yeah. been in a job for t- 20 years. They don't like, right. So it's like, you have to at some point take the risk and say, you know, either I fail and you know, I'm no better off than I am now. Or, you know, people are like, well, it could be difficult to get a new job. Well, it's difficult to stay in a job you hate to, <laughs> you know? It's very difficult, yeah. It sounds like you're, um, you have like a very fierce sense of uh, responsibility and protection for the quality of your life from a very young age to like now. Like the fact that you've never stayed in a job for more than one or two days that you didn't love or didn't well, feel with. I also feel like with. that's got to be like a level of privilege that should be acknowledged as well, you know? So like, yeah. Yeah. Have I had times where I like didn't have the finances I needed? Yeah. Did I, was I raised in a house that we had like abundance? No. You know, so like, it's just a balance though. Like I, I didn't, I never missed a meal, you know, but um, yeah, I felt like I was able to take the risk safely, you know, mm. but really, really interesting. So yeah. I'm curious nowadays, um, what does success look and feel like to you? Um, I was thinking about that question. I think it feels like a calm nervous system. That's about it. How do you know when you have a calm nervous system? What, what does your body and mind do? Well, I guess it would be that I, I feel safe. I feel calm. I feel peaceful. Um, I mm-hmm. think from that place then I can create a lot easier. I'm, I'm more at ease. Uh, I'm more connected with people. My mind is uh, clear and it's not ruminating, mm-hmm. you know, all that stuff. So I think, yeah, it would kind of be like the word ease would come to mind for me as well. Mm-hmm. So like success looks like, yeah, not having to force anything physically or mentally at all, you know? Yeah. Just kind of, yeah. I love that you said calm nervous system. Um, one of the guests for the School of Online Learning podcast will be uh, Kimberly Ann Johnson. She just wrote the book, Call of the Wild. And it's all about regulating the nervous system. It's really, really profound. It's like we've taken that approach through like, I I took that approach through central nervous system regulation through nutrition for so long and like getting the anti-inflammatory foods out and meditation, but to do it through a somatic lens, I think adds another layer. So I know you'd appreciate that book too. And hopefully um, the podcast is great, but but to me, that's kind of like my marker now. It's like, it used to be like, can I do, can I see my abs? And now it's like, do I have a calm nervous system? Totally. Well, that's the thing. Like, I think, I mean, physically, that's why, like, I don't train people physically very often anymore. You know, like they would have to go through the 12 week, like energy management program before I would even think about it. But even myself in my own training, like 
you know, I will train a few clients and then I do the workout with them. And the next day, like my jaw is sore, my neck is sore. And I feel like that really affects my nervous system. And I think like, why would I do that to myself just to get abs, you know, like, so, so like right now I, I jog lightly and I do yoga and I feel much more at ease than when I was doing, you know, heavy lifting. And I don't know, I'm sure there's some people that can lift weights and they don't have jaw tension afterwards, but it's not a reality for me at the moment. So. Yeah. Well, so that kind of brings me to what I think you're receiving, which is what are you unlearning around, whether it be being an athlete, um, a woman, um, a business owner, what are you unlearning these days? What are you shifting? Well, I, I love the word unlearning and it has, it has really brought up a lot of thoughts for me. Cause I'm like, can I unlearn something? Is that actually possible? You know, can mm-hmm. I actually unlearn it or do I just turn my focus to something else or, you know, cause yeah, I think one of the things, it's a good example, the way that I train my body, I guess I'm definitely doing something that I different than I used to do, you know, and my motivation right. is different, right? So I love the idea. I think calm nervous system needs to be my motivation for everything. The way that I eat, the way that I sleep, the way that I, you know, the way that I train is all going to be around a nervous system instead of a six pack or what I look like or what the weight on the scale is, you know? So I think, right. you know, I think I was also raised in a house where, you know, again, my mom's not going to be mad about this, but she's been on a diet since the day I was born, you know, like, so it's right, just like right. that kind of mentality of like, you know, food is not our friend and we can't just, you know, eat normally, you know, so I think unlearning or just really deciding that that's not a paradigm I want to be thinking about, you know, so that that's not true for me that I need to constantly change or fix my body or I should only eat this or should only eat that. I would say the last few years I've become a lot more, um, less rigid about everything. And I just, I feel right. like my body is responding so much better than before. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Um, I also really resonate with that too. I have had to relearn and unlearn like movement, especially in the past year with COVID. I think, you know, our psychological stress is so high. I was like, I can't actually sit in my computer for six hours a day and then do a high intensity. I needed to do, I needed a balance. Right. And I now know it's like more of like a pendulation with the nervous system is what's important. Not always being so how one, are you training? one area. Well, I mean, uh, these days I'm just doing a lot less. I might work out for like, honestly, 10 to 20 minutes. Um, I do a lot of walking in the park here in Brooklyn and that's helpful. Um, I'm trying to do more nasal breathing. Like when I move and work out, Mm. like instead of like breathing through my mouth, I'm trying to only breathe through my nose. I think that allows me to be more grounded. Um, I still kick and scream with yoga, but I'm trying to do it like once or twice a week where oh, I just so good. So good. get into it. Oh, and then at the, oh, at the end, I'm always if it like, makes you feel better. <laughs> yes, for sure. It's like, I think it's like, um, again, my whole life, just like you was like run faster, lift more weights, generally like shoot right. thousands more shots to, to prove your value, to stay a part of the team, right. to be seen as a leader. And now I'm just like, no, no, like elite, I can't, I can't do that. My nervous system is processing grief. It's, Right. you know, stress from XYZ. And so I, to answer your question, it's just a mix of a lot of low, low intensity, shorter term movements, which I, yeah, I think yoga me. is interesting though, because I think like those high intensity workouts that we're used to, they mm-hmm. may be like, they stress out the body, but they calm the mind on some level. Right. Whereas yeah. yoga calms the body, but my stress out the mind, you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I, I love the people. idea, right. Of like, you know, I'm doing this yoga now from New York, Katona, and they talk about a home practice, right? And a home practice is like where you actually take the time to go into your own mind and like 
you know, Mm -hmm. direct your breathing in different ways and do different counts and do different, you know, so it's like really trying to like mediate your own mind instead of like, you know, I used to do yoga, but I'd put on a podcast while I did it, or I listened to a romance novel while I was, you know, but now I'm actually trying to like give my brain some time to actually hear what's happening and, and guide it and direct it and inform it in a different way. So it's like super intense, but I think it's worth it. Yeah, well, you've been doing some intense mindset work for your whole life, I think, at this point. So <laughs> you're you're, yeah. you're primed for it. Um, so, what is life like for you these days? You just had a baby daughter, so congrats. Um, you have that. You have your business. Uh, tell us a little bit about life and work for you these days. What is that? Uh, so I moved from New York to Victoria, British Columbia. So it's a little island off of um, Vancouver. Um, it was actually before COVID and the timing of that, again, it's like, you know, my source energy, all of the, like, you know, that was divinely guided somehow, you know, so I, I did spend most of my pregnancy in lockdown in Victoria, but we could still go outside. We could go hiking, you know, so it was great. Um, now, yeah, Eloise is turning a year at the end of June. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's been such a journey. I mean, there's a whole, um, content that can be created around energy management and being a mother because <laughs> it's a yeah. whole beast that I wasn't expecting. But uh, I started to work quite early, almost when she was about six weeks. And it's been great. I have a full-time nanny. I'm a single mom. I have a full-time nanny here at the house and um, she's here 40 hours a week. So I just, I do my thing at the house. And then if I have a couple hours break in between, I can run out and take her to the park or make her lunch. Or So it's been a, mm-hmm. a great balance of uh, work and mothering and outside time. And, you know, I do a lot of yoga with the nanny here and Loie's, I call her Loie. She's playing around. So I feel like she's seeing me doing yoga and we're kind of all still together, but yeah. um, I still get my space and my time to move my body. So it's been, um, all things considered. I mean, it's been a pretty, um, yeah, balanced time lately. So lots of fun clients and exciting challenges. I'm starting to certify coaches on my own method, which has been a really fun project and so fun to work with the people who are so excited about this and want to teach it themselves. Right. So that's been um, really exciting and I can see where this is going to go in the future and yeah, just lots of uh, exciting things. Amazing. Um, what do you do during, so you mentioned like basically working, being in lockdown through pregnancy and then like the first many months of Lowe's life, but what do you do when like shit hits the fan for you? Like what does a rough moment look like and feel like for you and how do you process how do you process yeah, it? It would be interesting. Like, like if I'm totally honest, I would say the first like two months of her life were rough moments, you know, and I think any yeah. new mom who's listening to this, it definitely had a kid in a quarantine would understand this, but it was so different than I was expecting. And I think the interesting thing about that is that your body's broken. So you can't um, work out like you normally do. You barely have a second to shower. So I'm definitely not meditating or writing. So everything that I do, like I feel like managing my mental health is a full-time job and everything I do to manage my mental health was not possible during the first few weeks of her life. So it was like right. super like I had to dig deep then, there and, and really try to, and just understand that when I'm fine, she's fine. So just like everything became, how do I soothe myself so I can soothe her and create an environment mm. that you know, all of that. Cause there's no way if I'm not okay, she's not okay. You know? So it was just like really understanding that we're so connected. Um, so that I was like that. hard times. And I would say when I started to work again is when things started to turn around. Right. So I had to kind of look at my own focus and dialogue and talking to people about that every day made me practice it again so clearly. And then things started to turn around. So I would say 
that's why I think I can talk about energy management so clearly is that I'm practicing it on a regular basis and I'm not a 10 all the time. And I always say that someone who is a 10 all the time did not write this curriculum. (laughs) You know, there's no way I always say I go on these low channels for my clients, you know, so I understand the human experience better, but I would say when I have low moments, I, I do the things that I talk about. I go for a walk. I do some writing. I just lay on the floor. I do some breathing. Right. You know, I, yeah. I speak to myself differently, right? I, I say, Jill, sweetheart, mm-hmm. whew, deep breath. This is hard. You're doing great. You know, like I, I just try to be my own kind of cheerleader and coach. Um, but yeah, I would say that, that, you know, it's not always rainbows around here, you know, so uh, yeah, I think I have my techniques, but also just acknowledging that, you know, lots of our emotions are impermanent and this isn't, this isn't who I am. This is what I'm feeling right now. And, you know, I'll get through it. Right. So yeah, yeah lots of things. Yeah. Does that answer the question? I love that. Totally. Um, it just sounds like you, when you kind of like had your back against the wall and you couldn't move, you couldn't do your normal energy management routines. You had to kind of create new ones or you had to more be more gentle with it and self soothe instead of again, do a workout and stuff. And so I think that's, that's really great because a lot of people who are listening um, may not feel as resourced or as skilled or have as much experience as you do in, in taking care of your body. And so I think it's important for people to hear both ends of the spectrum for, for all of us. Um, my last question to you is, and we think about, again, the school of unlearning. I, I feel like we're unlearning every day of our lives personally in almost every single area, whether it be relationships or work, finance, gender, um, sexuality. But what is your definition of unlearning? What would you say it is? My definition of unlearning, I think it would be, I guess, just deciding how I want to be, you know, so it would be like, yeah, I think my definition of unlearning is, it's a tricky one for me. Because like I said, I'm not sure that I necessarily resonate with that wording, right? So I'm trying to like put it into my own language and my own context. But yeah, I think it would be focusing on my ideal situation and focusing on the future that I'm creating and the possibilities that are out there and speaking nicely to myself. Right. So it would really be like, yeah, just deciding who I want to be and, and taking action, you know? So it's just, yeah, Yeah. for me. Yeah. I think unlearning, like, you know, a good example is the the kind of nutrition and, and my family background. Right. So it would be just, um, you know, understanding that those aren't tied to me. I'm not, you know, they don't define me and I get to define me. So maybe unlearning is defining how I want to be in yeah, my own you, personal yeah. definition, you know, I love so it. So there's you nothing get to define that I'm, who you are. there's nothing that I'm stuck with. You know, there's nothing from my past that has to determine my future. I love it. So I get to Mic decide. Drop. Yeah. Mic drop moment, friend. Great job. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, thanks for joining us um, on the School of Unlearning. Where can people learn about you, follow you and work with you? So I have uh, Instagram, B underscore A underscore dime. Um, also, my website is jillpain.ca. Like I said, I am training new coaches in the certified program that 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 whole program is starting in September. So if any of the listeners are interested in, you know, being able to, to coach and teach this stuff, teach this stuff themselves. That's, um, you know, send me a message. We can talk about it, but also, yeah, just finding me on any of those channels and I can help you out. But yeah, I think the big message is that, yeah, you, you don't have to feel like shit. (laughs) Not every day. I'm going to quote that for you, Jill, and put that all over uh, social media. Yeah. You don't have to feel like shit. Um, I love it, Jill. Part of so much of what I loved about your journey is that you are you're creating it day by day. 
Um, it doesn't feel prescriptive. It feels very natural. It feels like you're using, this is my sense of watching over the years and also being a friend of yours, but you're taking whatever life is giving you and you're making something fun and adventurous out of it. Um, and you allow yourself to have low moments, to have hard moments, you resource properly. And I love that evolution. Um, so it's been really fun to watch you grow and watch you and your family grow and just, um, just see it all evolve. I think it's incredibly important work you're doing. I think it's, I think it's the baseline of human mental health and I think it's the baseline of a happy family. So you're doing incredible work. Well, thank you. You've been such good support too. So good. So good. Yay. I'm excited to see what you do with this podcast. Can't wait. Hey friends. Thanks for listening to the School of Unlearning podcast. You can follow us on Spotify and iTunes. Be sure to check out the show notes, complete with links and insight you won't want to miss. If you enjoyed this episode, take one minute to rate, review, and share this podcast. Because our learning and unlearning never ends, and we don't have to do it alone.